even write the word Yahweh. I'm a little hot. If you could turn me down just a little bit out of these. The word Yahweh would never be spoken. So they would take Yahweh and take the vowels from the word Adonai and add it to Yahweh, which Yehovah, which was where, where that word comes from. And it's respect from God. Why do we uh, say the word Yahweh? Because we know God in a much more personal way than they did back then. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to your house and they want to say about the Jehovah, now you can talk to them. Psalm 26. Have you ever wondered why so many people start out great in their walk with the Lord? Let's bring up the, the, the title of our sermon. Why they start out so well in their walk with the Lord and then it seems like after a little bit... You ever wondered that? You ever wonder, well, I hope it doesn't happen to me. Maybe it has happened to you. We're going to look into that this morning. So if you would stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word, we're going to read David's Psalm, Psalm 26. The Bible says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering, without sliding. Examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I shall wash my hands in innocence. I will go about your altar, O Lord. Then I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare, how much? All your work wonders. Uh, O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed, in whose hands is a wicked scheme, and whose right hand is full of bribes. But as for me... I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on a level place in the congregation. I shall, what? Bless the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we open your word, help us to remember that you are trying to reveal yourself to us through it. Help us to come with an attitude of expectancy that what you have promised, you will fulfill. But also in that, that we would be obedient in carrying out what it calls us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had homecoming. You remember homecoming? This will be part B of Brother Shane's homecoming message because it's about Remember this verse, we, we bring up uh, Psalm 73, verse 2. Y'all you, wake up there? Here we go. It's Psalm 73, verse 2 says, let's read it together, go. And, and Brother Shane went through with you about how you look at the world out there and it seems like everybody else is getting further ahead than you and it makes you question God. Has it ever done that for you? Now, we're going to talk about three things this morning. So how many? Okay, so I'm not going to tell you to you right now. Okay, because it would, it's too soon. 
Now, let's answer the question first, because we're talking about backsliding. Is it possible for a Christian to backslide? What do you think? Jimmy says yes. Does anybody agree with Jimmy? Dorothy does. Does anybody else? Cindy does. Okay. Now, but let's be careful, because you cannot backslide from a place you've never been. Okay? Backslide has the picture of a hill and getting up to a higher place on the hill and falling backwards. Okay? Now, if you've never come to the place in your life where God has shown you that you were born an absolute sinner separated from God, and if, if you've never come to the point of realizing in sorrow this state that you were born in, if you've never come to the place of realizing that God provided you a solution for that through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you've never come to the place of saying, God, I'm surrendering my life to you, then you cannot backslide from something you don't have. Okay? And I think that maybe the majority of people that struggle with this is because they've never surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe with all my heart that there's many people that sit right where you're sitting. That's why I want you to examine your own heart. That if, if your whole Christian walk has been characterized by backsliding, and I know I'm saved, but I know I'm not right right now, with, with kind of this attitude every time you pray, God, I know there's things in my life that aren't right. If that's your attitude right from the get-go, there's a problem. Because what it's saying is what? I'm never right with God. I've never been right with Him. And I understand that there's things wrong in my life right now that I'm not willing to surrender to Him. So, before we even talk about backsliding, keep in your mind examining whether you truly are saved. And you say, how dare you ever question my salvation? I had somebody tell me that some of their family members came to our church and they were very offended because I asked them to examine their salvation. And they said, I have never questioned my salvation. Well, I, I, if you have never questioned your salvation, then you don't believe in this. Because this book says, be examining yourself in a mirror every day. And try not to forget what it tells you. Because we have a tendency, James says, to walk away from this and forget what we looked like. Right? So keep that in your mind as we go through this. Now, secondly, the easiest time to backslide. Okay? Listen to me. The easiest time to backslide and fall in sin is when you feel like you've been mistreated. When you feel like you've been done wrong. Because guess what? There's something in us that justifies lashing out. Because they did this to me, so guess what? I'm justified in bringing it on them. That's what Jesus is talking about. He said, you've, in, in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it said that you love your... Uh, neighbor and hate your enemies but i say love your enemies okay so you with me if you're with me say amen okay i want you to make sure you're awake because we're going to go quickly do you think that david knew something about this a lot for 10 years david was crowned king he was anointed king he wasn't crowned he was anointed king and then for 10 years after that he wandered around running from whom saul but there was a chance that he had to vindicate himself, right, in a cave. The story goes like this, that David and all his men were hiding in a cave. And that Saul had to go to the bathroom. 
Well, being the king, he didn't want to go to the bathroom out in front of everybody, right? So he goes in the cave to go to the bathroom and relieve himself. And the story goes that he took off his outer coat, lays it here, and goes over here to do the business. And while he's doing that, all David's men say, God has delivered you, him into your hands. Now's the time for you to kill him. And David resisted that, but he, he went over to Saul's robe and he did what? He cut a little piece off of it. And let's bring up this verse. It came about afterwards that David considered his, his what bothered him. Have you ever had that happen? You know, where it just feels like you, you've got a backpack on you and it, and it just ain't going anywhere, right? Uh, it says it bothered him because of what? Not that he, did, not that he, he killed Saul, but even the fact that he dishonored Saul. Because he says, so he said to the men, far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do the thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him. Even though Saul was trying to kill him, he's saying, look, God still got him in the position that he's in. Is that the last time David ever had to deal with something? There was another account of David going to a man named Nabal. And his, he was hungry and didn't have anything to eat. And he went to Nabal and asked Nabal, he'd been protecting Nabal, and said, could you give a, me and my men something to eat? Nabal said, am I a dog? That you come to, why would I help you? What well, ends up that David finds out and he's going to go kill Nabal and everyone in his family. Now, have you ever been that mad? David's mad. Okay, well, he goes out and there happens to be Nabal's wife, who was a godly woman, comes out to him, stops him on the way, uh, talks some godly sense into him and turns him around. And this is what he has to say to Abigail. Then David said to Abigail, what? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your what? Did David have good discernment? But even when he messed up, God sent somebody that had discernment. This is very important for why we fellowship together. De Jimmy, one day you might have a problem that you can't solve. And, and God sends Rob or Diane or Brother Tom over to you. And they've got discernment and can talk some sense into you if you listen. It says, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Are you to avenge yourself by your own hand? Now, David messed up here because he took the discernment of God and the blessing of God as love, and then he married Abigail, which was his second wife, and then we start down a long trail, okay? Now, if we get into God's word, here in this psalm, David is whispering the secret to navigating this problem how can you go through life when bad things are going to happen to you when you're going to be done wrong and not be in sin yourself three things you ready for them? i'm going to give them to you right up front i'm not going to make you wait i'm going to give them to you these are these are be new things to you number one faith number two obedience number three worship those three things we're going to talk about today faith i was listening to I don't know if you ever watched Bill O'Reilly, but he had an interview with an atheist, Bill Moore, on this week. And Bill Moore is an atheist, and they were talking about God's Word. And it's apparent that Bill Moore doesn't know God's Word at all. He hates it, but he doesn't know it. And it's 
it's also apparent that Bill O'Reilly doesn't know God's word at all. But we won't get into that. He gave a definition of faith. Bill Maher did. He said it was this. Faith is the purposeful suspension of critical thinking. The purposeful suspension of critical thinking. Meaning, I give up my right to think because I'm going to live by faith. Which is so much of a lie from Satan. Okay? Every one of us live every day by faith. Okay? I want you to picture it like this. Brother Lee, stand up for me. I'm going to use Brother Lee as an example. Okay. Now, let's... Brother Lee is here. Every... Look... See, he's been working out. All right, okay. Now, the faith on Brother Lee would be these. What are these? Glasses. Now, everything that he sees about you, he sees through what? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> everything, it's your, if you're taking Truth Project, you'll, or have taken it, you know this. It's, faith is your world view. It's the way you look at it. Everybody has faith, folks. Everybody. Everybody sees the world through faith because you haven't been alive since the beginning and you more than likely won't be alive at the end. So you're trying and I'm trying to work out life by things that we can't necessarily see. Now, what's not important is faith. What's important is the object of your faith. Okay. Now, I can have faith like Bill Moore. It's in my own reasoning. The only problem is that Bill has only been alive 50 plus years, right? He's only got limited perspective. Some of you, that's why the the most immature among us think they know the most, right? The most mature among us should really have the most questions because they've lived long enough to figure out there's a lot to know, okay? So to say that faith is just letting go of my reason is baloney. The psalmist here says, vindicate me, O what? O Lord. He says, examine me, O Lord. I want to tell you that the biblical life of faith constitutes those two things. The Lord fighting my battles, the Lord vindicate me, and the Lord examine me. Because I realize that there's problems out in the world that I can't handle. And I also realize that there's problems right here. What did we learn last week were our three enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. This kind of sums them all up. David has stated, look, I trust in the Lord and my foot hasn't slipped. The way that we get the title for this is the first verse and the last verse all talk about not slipping. Okay? So when you're reading the psalm, it usually gives you what he's trying to talk about right there in it. Now, When someone does you wrong, what do you want to do? Okay. Um, have you ever heard the saying, getting even? Do we like to get even? Buddy, what do you think? Yeah. More than likely, though, we like to get what? I like to get ahead. <laughs> I don't like to get even too much, right? I mean, we, we always take it the further length, right? Because I feel like because Sherry did this to me, that I can go ahead and do likewise to her, and even more because of she did it first, right? If you talk to your kids when they did something bad and they're fighting, they're what? Will, they did it first. 
They hit me with a broom. That's why I went with a board and smacked them five times, right? Now, this is just human nature, and if we would uh, recognize it. Here he's saying, Lord, vindicate me, and I'm going to walk in my integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without slipping back. I know that all these bad things have happened to me. God, you've taken care of it in the past, and I'm trusting that you're going to take care of it now and even in the future. If you're going to live, with the Lord as the object of your faith, then you're going to have to realize that he can take care of you. This is the witness that we have lost in the church today. Is that I can trust that with my brothers and sisters at church, I don't have to fight back. They can talk about me, they can say whatever they want, they can do whatever they want, but I'm going to live in my integrity. I'm going to trust that the Lord knows what I've done and what I haven't done. Now, with that being said, do we sin? Okay, so vindicate me would be the, the Satan and the world, the influences out there. But the next one, examine me, would be the flesh, inward. And he says this. He said, O Lord, try me. Test my what? Okay, so test my thoughts and my priorities. So Lord, test what's going on up here and how I carry it out in my life. Why doesn't David examine those for himself? Let's bring up Jeremiah. Boom, let's go to the next slide. Read this out loud, go. This is such an interesting fact. Because the fact is, you don't know you you're best at deceiving yourself that's why this is so important that's why this should come up shouldn't it this should be what's the guiding point of our lives because we can't do it without it now have you ever deceived yourself what's that look like it kind of looks like this let's just put it out there it looks like this somebody does you wrong and you're thinking about what you did back to them, and you know what you did was wrong. And you know you should go ask their forgiveness, and you know you should ask the Lord's forgiveness. But what do you do? Yeah, you start justifying yourself, right, and coming up with all the reasons why you were okay in what you did. Is that, I'm the only one that goes through this? When you're laying in bed at night, and you've just gotten in a fight with your wife or your husband, and, you know, you're in the bed with your back toward each other, you know, like that. I'm not talking to them. And the whole while you're thinking, how dare she do this and this and this. All that I do around here, right? Hebrews 11.13. This is the most convicting verse about faith. It says this. All these, it's talking about the hall of faith, okay? All these people, they, without receiving the promise, but having seen them, uh, and having welcomed them from what? A and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles, uh, what's it say? Here, you're a what? What's it mean to be a stranger and an exile? I know it's not politically a correct to say illegal alien any longer. However, I'm an illegal alien right here. This is not my home. I'm not trying to please everybody around here. But what I am is I'm trying to please God. I'm living by faith, meaning... This is so hard. 
we have, we've been brought up in an individualistic society, right? Mike, that means that your life is the most important thing in the whole world. More than the generations before you, more important than the generations after you. That we are taught to focus on us. Instead of seeing ourselves in God's grand scheme and just being a little part in that. That we tend to think, I am everything and I need to see God working. What he's saying here is the best, but people throughout the centuries that have served God their whole life and never seen it with their eyes. Was he still at work? Oh, this humbles me right here. Uh, I, I have prayed most of my ministry as a pastor that I would see God work. And I always thought that was a good prayer. But how about a prayer of, God, I know you're at work. I don't have to see. That's what he's talking about here. The biblical life of faith is not just believing in anything that's unseen. When you hear people on TV talk about a life of faith, you need to ask them what the object of their faith is, okay? Um, if it's in God alone, it's biblical faith. And that's going to include, he's the one fighting for me, and he's the one examining me, okay? You got that? Amen? Okay, now, a lifetime of trusting him will reveal the problems of the world, the problems of Satan, and the problems with yourself. It, it just happens. But remember this fact. You cannot backslide from some place that you have never been. Okay, so what I'm saying is, come to faith in Christ. If you've never come to trusting him with your life, then you're not a Christian. Now, this is a pretty good thing to come to, right? We you think, well, I've come to church, and I've been baptized, and I've said this prayer, and I've been this... Well, by grace are you saved through faith. Okay. So this is very important. Okay. It's not only important that you started in faith, it's important that you live every day after in faith, believing that God is in control. Now, can you think of a time in your life when you've ever been closer to the Lord than you are right now? If you can think of a time in your life when you've ever been closer to the Lord than you are right now, then you have sin in your life, you need to repent of it, and you need to do it right. So, faith. But let's move on. Let's go to obedience. First, I'm saying God's the only proof I need. I don't need, and that's hard for me, because I like visible proof. Do you? Okay. Next, we're going to obedience. We're saying that God's word is my warning. One of the things that troubles me about parents today is they do this. Kyle, if you do that one more time, I'm going to ground you. And then guess what Kyle does? He goes and does it again, right? And then I say, Kyle, if you do that one more time, I'm going to ground you. And then what's Kyle do? And then guess what? Kyle, didn't I tell you that if you do that one more time, I'm going to ground you? And he goes, yeah, but you didn't mean it because you didn't do it the last time. Right? This is our warning. This is it. Okay? God shouldn't have to be patient with us. He's already told us what he expects. He's already told us what's going to happen if we obey. He's already told us what's going to happen if we disobey. Has he? Now, in our flesh, we naturally tend to think that God does not love us, and we naturally want to doubt God's promises. 
Write that down. We naturally come to this from Adam and Eve all the way to present. That's what Satan works on, doesn't he? For you to doubt God's promises and for you to think that God doesn't love you. He doesn't want what's best for you. That's why you're going through this mess. Look what the Bible says. David states, for your loving kindness is before my eyes and I have walked in what? Your truth. Is there any other kind of truth than God's truth? Is there? All truth is God's truth. Okay? Now, Satan likes to take samplings of God's truth and mix it with lies. And a half-truth is what? A whole lie. Okay? Now, listen up. Is this God's standard? Look at verse 4 and 5. If, you, if you're a young person here and you're dating, these are good this is good for you. I do not sit with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I wish every girl I could talk to and say, look, don't go with a pretender. What's a pretender? Somebody that loves you, and the only reason they love Jesus is because you love Jesus, and they want, you, they want to love you. So they'll pretend to love Jesus until they get what they want. And I know everybody looks at me like I'm on crack cocaine when I start talking about but what I see is the opposite of that. I, I see, and it happens more with ladies than men, but I'm sure it happens the other way, where, where ladies have married Mr. Wonderful, and he turned out to be Mr. Zero. Okay? He looked good. We thought he had a good career, but he wasn't a Christian. But I'm, you know, I'm in the extreme makeover marriage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change him. No, you're not. And we, we lie. We say, I knew he was pretending the whole way. What, our quiet time this week brought this verse. Let's bring it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Read it. Go. I'm just going to give you a little truth right here. And I, am, I, I have said this till I'm blue in the face. And young people, you just keep going and doing it the opposite way. Because for some reason, it's right when I'm saying it until you're looking at Mr. Wonderful or Mrs. Miss Wonderful, and then somehow this flies out the window. You say you believe in God, and I'm trusting in God to guide my life. You've got to be here Wednesday, because I'm going to read a quote from Jim Elliott's book, In the Shadow of the Almighty, about this right here. I didn't bring it today because it's too long. Am I willing to believe him with my eternity and I'm not willing to trust him right now? Look, it says, I hate the assembly of evildoers and I will not sit with wicked people. Now, he goes on. In verse number five, it says, I mean six. Somebody read six out loud for me. Go. Is he saying right here that I'm innocent? Is David saying, you've got, to, you've got to know Old Testament, okay? In the outer court, when you first come in the outer court, there's the altar, right? First thing. And right behind the altar is the laver, where the priest would wash. And what he's saying is, I've sinned, but I've dealt with it God's way. I've washed my hands in the laver. I've sacrificed what you Asked me to do, God. I'm not pretending that I'm not sinned. I've dealt with it the way that you've asked me to deal with it. Is that important? 
John 16, 8. Let's bring that verse up. Here it comes. And he, that's the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will do what? You think he does? Does he convict you? How do you deal with it? Do you deal with it the way he's told you to deal with it? Or do you, like the world, pretend that it was just a mistake and we'll just overlook that? Does God overlook it? We, we, we need to talk about something here because I, I hear all the time, people want to know the will of God. How many of you would raise your hand and say you want to know the will of God? Do you realize that there's two parts to the will of God? Okay? There is his general will and there's his specific will. I like to call it there's the if will and then the then will, right? Which, if you don't do the general will of God, then you're not going to get the specific will of God. Are you with me? What would we say are some examples of the general will of God? Glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. The, the purpose of man, yes. We would say that confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead and you will be saved. That's His general will. Then, that every day that you're supposed to confess your sin, that's His general will. How about every day getting into God's Word? How about every day seeking His direction in prayer? Do you think that's His general will? Yes. Do you think it does us any good to come before God and say, Dear God, I need to know who to marry. I need to know what job to take, God, when you're not doing His general will. I mean, it's, it's pointless for us to try to ask God specifics when we're not willing to do the general. And guess what? The way you get the general is you look at your priorities and you say, where do my priorities line up with faith? I'm saying that I believe God. Where in it does it not jive with that? And I'm going to confess those things and get it right. Is God faithful? He is. Now, uh, it was interesting this week, I was at school, and there was a, one of the children was unnamed, but they got the answer sheet for a project that they had to do, and they just went ahead and filled out the answer sheet without ever reading it or without doing anything. They just went on A, B, I think a D here. Many people believe that that's what faith is, you know, that, that, that I just, just do that, you know, just live life, making decisions and asking God to bless it. Is that life of faith? No. It's obeying the general will of God, asking him to show me specifics, and then I'm going to carry him out. But rem rem remember, David here is basically saying, I've learned to do what I'm told. This is the disservice we're doing to our children today of not teaching them to obey. Because when they become adults, they don't know what it is to obey God because we've never taught them to obey us. Now, you can't slide from where you've never been. So, if you've never obeyed God with your whole life, then you need to start there by surrendering your life to Him. If you've never trusted Him with everything, then none of this is going to make any sense to you. But we're real good at deceiving ourselves. We're real good at saying, well, you know, I believe. I'm just not believing to the point of acting. Let's move on. Remember that song? You probably grew up singing it. It goes like this. Trust and obey. 
For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. The only part I disagree with that song is to be happy in Jesus. We could sing it like this, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy but to trust and obey. You see, all of us are trying to be happy, and we're making decisions that we think are going to lead to happiness. But if you don't do them, trusting in God, doing what he's told us to do, do you think it's going to lead you to happiness? Do you think you're going to be the one exception throughout all the centuries that disobeyed God and it led to happiness? Just ask him. But let's go to worship. This is good. Verse 7, someone with a New American Standard tell me what the first word is. That. So the whole reason to believe and obey is for this reason. I put it like this. God's way as my only worry. What are you worried about today? Are you only worried about what God or are you worried about every other thing? It, 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 let, let's put it in perspective. It, it's first, faith. He, God is the, the proof, he's the promise, and I don't need anything but him. That's faith. Then we go to obedience, saying God's word as my warning. I don't need another warning. I don't need to experience everything in life. I'm saying he's right, and I'm going to obey it. And then we come down to worship and saying, out of all this world, the one thing I'm going to worry about is being right with him. Nothing else. He says this, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and declare all your wonders. What's your purpose? He says here, the reason I trust and obey is not so God won't hurt me so that other people might know how great he is. And that as they see the sacrifice in my life, they're going to understand in a fuller way who he is. And he goes on, he says, I love, I, oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Well, then the glory dwelt in the temple, right? Where does it dwell now? Us. So he said, I love both public and private worship. I just love spending time with you. Do you love that with God? Do you love just opening up his word and communing with him? Do you love coming here and singing songs together? Do you? Or is it kind of a chore? Look at here, verse 9, it says, Do not take my soul away along with sinners, nor my life with men of bloodshed. What's your soul is the choices that you make. He's saying, look, God, I've chosen you. Don't send me down the road along with people that are trying to scheme their way through life. God, I'm wanting to serve you. Remember, he's just been done wrong. He said, God, I don't know why this is happening to me, but you know. He says, my yes is already on the table. I'm trying to trust you. I'm trying to obey you. But look at verse 11. He comes to this and he says, look, verse 10, I'm not scheming. I'm not trying to bribe people. But he realized, he says, as for me, I will walk in my 
Now, we've got to understand what his integrity is. Look what he says in the next verse. Here's my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Redemption means being bought back. Is he saying, I'm such a good person because I'm walking in my integrity? No, he's saying, God's the one working in and through me. It's only because he's given me something that I don't deserve. That's grace. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Let's bring it up. You say, what are the two girls on this? The two girls are, let's back it up. There you go. Read this out loud. Okay, hold up right there. Hold up right there. Okay, now now get this. But seek first his kingdom. That's by faith. Can you see his visible kingdom? Has God promised his visible kingdom? Yes. So that's by faith. And what? And his what? And his righteousness. Is this obedience? Oh, obedience to God. So what I'm saying is, one thing I'm going to seek, and it's really not one thing, it's two things, but this is going to be primary in my life. I'm going to seek to trust him, and I'm going to seek to obey him. The one thing in my life that's going to be the focus is being right with God. And th- what's it say next? Go. Keep going. If you read before these verses, it goes in and says, look at the flowers of the field. Does it look like they're worried? And they're just here today and gone tomorrow. Why are you so worried? Maybe it's because you're not living by faith. Maybe it's because you know there's things that you're not being obedient in. And there's no way that you can come before God and worship if this is not your goal. No way. You're it's it's just a sham to come before god and say god i want to lift you up in church today but not tomorrow in my life not this afternoon in my life not in the hard things remember you can't slide from where you've never been can you so what do you do you've been done wrong we said, well, Brother Dan told us that we're supposed to believe God in faith. We're supposed to obey Him, and we're supposed to worship. I want to read some verses, and we're going to close with this. Let's bring up Peter. First Peter 2. I'm going to read this to you. Listen. This finds grace. Some Bibles translate it as favor, but it's grace. Okay, And it really comes down to this point that he's trying to prove in the whole book of First Peter. is that If you're saved, you've received the grace of God. And here's how you know. Chapter 2, verses 2 says, if you want God's word like a baby wants milk, this shows, verse 3, that you've tasted the grace of God. Here he says, here, this finds grace. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrow when suffering, how? Now listen to this. For what credit is there if, when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. So if, if you sin, and God is bringing consequences from your sin, and you deal with it patiently, he's saying what? Big deal. 
That's the law of sowing and reaping. That's not meaning you're a great Christian because you're being patient through the circumstances and the consequences that God has brought your way. That's, but then he says this. He says this. But, the big but, if when you do what? And suffer for it and do what? Have you ever done that? I mean, it's so woefully inadequate in my own life, this. Because... And it happens to pastors a lot. I mean, it, whether it's a, a, a nasty letter that someone won't sign and they slip under your door, or whether it's somebody talking around the community, or whatever it is. Something wills up inside you, right? Does it you? That wants to just lash out. Is that God? It's not. It's the flesh. And it's a good indicator of where our faith is and where our obedience is. He goes on, he says this. This finds grace with God, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. You, you're talking about the guy that was up on the cross and said, Father, what? Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the same one they... Peter's saying, follow in his steps. Now, this is the good thing about this. Peter knows what it's like to screw up, doesn't he? Do you? I do. Okay? The deal with being a Christian isn't if you screw up. It's when you screw up. Deal with it God's way. Come before his laver. Wash your hands. Wash your hands in faith in the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has done for you deal with it i would tell you this and we're gonna we're gonna go into the invitation with this the way you know that you're saved is by the holy spirit within you dealing and con with your sin with a right relationship with god and about coming judgment if this is not going on in your heart then you are if you say, well, those things are going on in my heart, Brother Dan, I just do not know how to deal with them. The way to deal with them is come honestly before God. Be honest before other people. And God will receive your confession, and he will forgive your sin, won't he? Do you believe that? Now, I believe we've probably got some business to do with God this morning. I had to spend a whole afternoon dealing with my lack of faith which has led to disobedience in my life, which has led me to really half-hearted worship. Now, the choice is yours. The opportunity is here. Would you bow with me? Father God, this time is yours. May we make good use of it. May you be glorified in what goes on right now. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed? The piano's going to be playing. It's up to you.